my first meeting is really funny and it's just kind of unbelievable, you know, the way Dr. Evans has evolved. Welcome back, friends. This is two-time Super Bowl champion, once as a player in 1979 with the Pittsburgh Steelers and once in 2007 as the first African-American head coach with the Indianapolis Colts. He's now the co-host of NBC's Football Night in America, Coach Tony Dungy. In 1983, my wife and I had just gotten married, and we're starting to attend this very small church in Pittsburgh, Bethany Baptist Church. And Richard Farmer is a pastor, a young pastor, just gotten out of seminary school. And one of his good friends, Tony Evans, is going to preach the message and be involved in our church this particular weekend. He's coming up from Dallas, Texas. And at that time, not Dr. Evans. I didn't know he was Dr. Evans. This is Tony Evans, a young guy, and he is preaching and talking, and he was sensational. And it was, wow, this guy is really great. Got to talk to him a little bit after the service and uh, just really got some good information, took some good notes. And then he goes back to Dallas, and I don't think anything more about it other than we heard this really, really sharp young guy. So then about five years later, I'm driving into work coaching the Steelers and I'm turning on Christian radio on my drive in and I hear this voice. And I said, where have I heard this voice before? And all of a sudden it's Tony Evans on a broadcast. And I said, wow, how, how is this guy that I bet how he's now broadcast? I started listening. Now I've got uh, the radio station in Pittsburgh and I'm zeroed in and I realized if I drive to work like 8.30 in the morning, I, I could hear this. And so <laughs> I'm tuning in now every week and or every day and, and hearing some of this insight. And then, of course, he's starting to put out the, the uh, you know, tools and the Bible studies and things. And, and we're starting to work with him. And as his ministry got bigger and bigger and I started moving up the ladder, uh, we then moved to Kansas City and we had a chance to have him come in and speak to a lot of our chapels. And anytime we play in Dallas, I would want to get him to speak to our team and, and vice versa. <laughs> hey, are you free? So we kind of just started developing this relationship. Over the years, I started leaning on him and advice, spiritual advice and things. And then as I moved the ladder um, and became a, a defensive coordinator and then later a head coach, I, I just gravitated to him when I had questions and the friendship has just grown over the 40 years, but he has always been someone who has been able to provide me with spiritual insight that has been just unbelievable. I would say over the years, couples, Bible studies, men's Bible studies we've done, uh, just, uh, I can't tell you how much he's helped me. Throughout our earlier episodes, we've touched on Dr. Evans' love of sports, particularly football and basketball. When he came to the house, my impression that he wasn't 18 years of age, could not be 18 years. He had to be a married man with kids because his build was different as a football-sized build. We'd have touch football games out on the school playground. So Tony and I played together. He was receiver. I was late quarterback, tried to. And we just had a good time playing touch football. We would play basketball on the back of the day. I mean, we play as far as if we weren't friends at all. But it's time to turn our attention to just how big a part it plays in Dr. Evans' life. Welcome to Start to Finish, 
The Life and Ministry of Dr. Tony Evans. Episode 6, The Chaplain. Okay, here's how it started. All right. In the back of my house where I grew up are yep. three alleys. They are attached. Okay. Every day, every single day, weather permitting, I was out there playing football or baseball. Okay. Every day. Every day. Every day. Okay. <laughs> On Saturdays, there is this place called the Diamond. The Diamond is this huge field. On Saturdays, we went to the Diamond to play football. I love that it had a name. Like this, this, is, the, the, this is the Diamond. The Diamond. The this diamond. is the place. That's right. So you could play baseball at the Diamond and football at the Diamond. That's so I went, we went to the Diamond on Saturdays. We're talking about hours and hours and hours of playing ball. And we played tackle football. Mm-hmm. We played tackle football with no equipment. Yep. So we were, we were, we, I mean, this was a religion. <laughs> okay. So uh, while I had asthma, I did get these weekly shots, and that allowed me to function. Right. In high school, I did three sports: football in the in, in the fall, right? Swimming in the winter, okay. Baseball in the spring. All of my high school years, so I was heavily involved in in sports every single day of my of my junior high. And high school life right. every day, right. if the weather permitted. I was in the alleys, right. at the diamond, or during school. Then, then you had to to do it during school with whatever the sport was. Right. So it was a heavy part of my life. What's well, kind of some takeaways for you, even in your childhood, that you believe sports uh, taught you and 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 laid in your life a foundation. Well, definitely the challenge of sports. Sports, yep. sports, competitive sports is a challenge. Right. And and you have to work hard. You have to compete. You're part of a group. You're being coached and mentored. So you've got all these dynamics happening with something that you enjoy. Yeah. So if you enjoy it, then you're much more willing to accept the challenge of it. Right. So... I loved I loved the competitive yeah, the sports yep. and the challenge associated with it. Right, right, and and the camaraderie because yep. uh, you know you're part of a team and so there's a camaraderie that's part of it. As we've seen, God had other plans for Tony's life than to play sports at the next level, but God didn't take too long to reveal to Tony how he could serve the sports world. One of Tony's seminary professors, Dr. Howard Hendricks, would soon connect him. But he was chaplain of the. Cowboys, and he did their Bible study. And one time he asked me to come and substitute for him. Okay. And I did. And he would ask me again and again. And the team responded to me well. And he wanted to kind of shift out. So I basically just slid into taking his place as the. Uh, as the chaplain of the team. And so right. I led the Bible study on Saturday. And what year would this be? It would be the last five years of Tom Landry's coaching career. So it would be the end of the 80s, Yeah, you know, for five years until he retired, uh, until he passed away. Can we talk a little bit? Let's lock in on the, the chaplaincies and, and the privileges you've had. How would you describe the people who've asked you, yeah, well, what, do you what do you do as a, as a you know, Chaplain. Professional sports chaplain. Two things. You held that chapel 
you, you oversaw their chapels or Bible studies, and then you provide personal counseling for players right. who needed it or wanted it. Right. So I did both. Uh, out of that came a very special friendship with Bob Brunick, who became a board member of the Urban Alternative for many, 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 many years uh, up until 2022. I actually went out and I I would do pre-practicing with the team. Okay. So I'd go out and catch passes. Were you really? Roger Starbag and Come on. Yeah. And I'd uh, run patterns with, with Drew Pearson and, right. and Tony Hill and all. Yeah. I mean, I was out there. They would have the, they had a basketball court. Uh, right. So I would play basketball, you know, with them. Yep. You know, so I was, I was there. They knew me. I knew them uh, and, and uh, provided counsel for many of the, couples and that right. kind of thing. So it was a it was a great relationship during that during that season. How long had Mr. Hendricks uh, been chaplain for the the Cowboys before you? Uh before me uh, probably 3 or 4 years. Okay. Probably 3 or 4. So years. he had he had created some credibility with the organization. Oh yeah, he created a very and he was very close with Tom Landry. Okay, great. So he was very close with Tom Landry. There was a guy named Bill Kreischer who was a friend of uh, well he had played professional football for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But he was hosting the Bible study, and he was connected to uh, uh, Hendricks, and and so when I went to take over for Hendricks, I developed a relationship with Bill Kreischer because the Bible study was in his home, and uh, so it, there was just a number of connections during that, and some friends developed for the ministry also from that in terms of supporting the ministry Great. as well. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Tom Landry? Uh, such an iconic, oh, incredible yeah. man. Very positive about Bible study. He and his wife came to church okay. to Oak Cliff. Uh, then they came over my house for dinner. Um, very supportive. Uh, I went to his house on a couple of occasions and uh, sat with him. I thought he did support at one time. The ministry, and so he was. You know, he was revered in Dallas. Right. He was revered. Right. So, so, uh, but he was very personally affirming to me and to the team. And uh, his Christian perspective was very clearly communicated to the community and right. to the team. And when Norm Sanju came to town to to be the founder of the Mavericks, right? He happened to be talking to Tom Landry. Okay, and he wanted a chaplain for the team that he had not yet established. <laughs> Tom Landry gave Norm Sanju my name. Okay. But one of the things I wanted to do, I wanted to have a chaplain available to the players to build into their lives. This is Dallas Mavericks co-founder, former president and general manager, Norm Sanju. Now, it's nothing like today when the salaries are, are just almost obscene. But back then, a young 19, 20, 21-year-old players were making way more than their parents could ever think of making, even then. And so to have a godly man work with them, uh, to me, was very important. So as a believer, uh, I wanted to have an impact. I asked uh, Dr. Howie Hendricks, uh, who was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, dear friend of me, and uh, he said, Norm, there's a young Black pastor I'm going to recommend. Now, remember, I didn't know Tony Evans then. It's not the Tony right. Evans today that everybody knows, presidents <laughs> and whoever. This yeah. was then. And uh, so I said, well, I'd love to meet him. So I met Dr. Tony Evans and, and instantly just admired him. He was just special. Even then, way before he was known like he is, is today. 
And so I invited him to be chaplain of the Dallas Mavericks. But Tony was the second person I actually hired. Now, when I say that, <laughs> I go back and looked at my records and make sure I'm not exaggerating. He told us that you were his second hire. I heard, I heard. <laughs> Even though they weren't paying me, I don't know why you were hired. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yes. So the the NBA schedule is a little more intense than that's, the NFL that's schedule. Right. That, that, how'd, that, how'd that work? <laughs> well, I did I did one game a week. Okay. So I couldn't go to every game because they right. they flying in and out all over the place. Right. But uh, but because Norm was so passionate about the spiritual environment, I mean, he they included me on everything. That's great. And so we developed uh, a lot of, I married some of the players and, uh, you know, provided counsel for them. And so a number of them came to church. And so, so they were um, a great relationship. My relationship with Norm Sanju was much closer than my relationship with Tom Landry because Norm Sanju joined the Urban Alternative Board. Yeah, I think I was the most impressed with my dad when the Cowboy players were impressed with him. Hmm. I think it made me see like, oh, man, like I have a superstar dad, so to speak. Right. You know, so when we go to chapel and I walk into chapel and it's straight up Michael Irvin, Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, Nate Newton. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, those are the boys now. Yeah. Those yeah. are the boys. And uh, I go in there and I'm just like licking my chops. I'm a kid. I'm starstruck. I'm sitting in the front. Just like, and I, I remember thinking, man, I hope my dad does okay. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm nervous for him. Right. Of course, he's not nervous at all. He's walking in there, and those are kids to him. Right. Um, but I remember vividly leaving that chapel, and, um, and Michael Irvin walking up to him, and he, Michael Irvin said, "That's actually the first time I forgot about the game." Mm-hmm. He said, "I totally forgot." We were playing a game. I was totally locked in on what you were saying. I mean, I sit in chapel, and he's like, I, you know, I hear what the guy's saying, but man, I'm locked in yep. on the game. It's almost a part of my routine. You yep. know how it is. Yeah, it's a part of the routine. Um, he said that's the first time I was locked in. So, man, great job. Like, mm-hmm. thank you so much for that chapel. I needed that, and I'm sitting there going. Hmm. <laughs> there must be something to this Tony Evans guy. <laughs> you know, if Michael Irvin locks in. So Jonathan did share one story. He said, uh, with all due respect, this is when he realized that my dad might be a big deal. He said he went with you to chapel or something, and uh, Michael Irvin, this was in that era, uh, came up to you and just shared how much the the message meant to, to him <laughs> because you were the first guy that ever made him forget about his game that he was about to play. Uh, oh, okay. You remember I, that moment? I, 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 I think he told me about it. I okay. don't remember it. But John said he's looking up at, you know, obviously Mike Orvin. And uh, he's like, oh, well, I guess my dad's got a little bit of, little I got, bit of got, pull. I got a little bit of juice. Well, I love specifically what the Lord's been doing through the NFL. The relational side, as as you know, I've had the privilege of um, getting to be a, an NFL chaplain with the Saints. And uh, this is my 13th year. And the relationships, when I came in to be a chaplain, I was mentored by uh, Pastor Carl Payne, who is the longtime chaplain for the Seahawks. Right. He gave me three words of wisdom. So I want you to think about, you know, maybe what would you share with future chaplains and with the experience you have? He told me, he said, don't ask for anything, don't assume anything, 
and preach the Bible as hard as you can. That's what he told me. And I lived by those rules for the last 13 years. So well, your experience, what what would be your wisdom in, in just loving on those who have such a spotlight and influence for the kingdom? Right. Well, you, you don't want to be a piranha for because uh, they look for that because everybody wants something right. because of their notoriety their uh, and their resources. So the don't ask for something is very important. Uh, you can expose them to what you're doing, but that's different than asking them for something. Right. Okay, that's one. Secondly of all, not be intimidated by them. Right. I mean, these are, for the most part, young, immature, rich people. <laughs> so, so you can't you can't lose sight of that, or right. else you'll let the money or the notoriety skew you. Yeah. And then, thirdly, you wanna you wanna orient them to a biblical worldview. Yeah, that's great. I love it. So we've talked about some one on one games. Can I go into the basketball world? Any any other one on one games in the in the Maverick season when you're around? Yes, Mark Aguirre. Mark okay. Aguirre was the star of the Mavericks. And then he went to I remember Mark Aguirre. The Detroit Pistons. Yeah, he strong came guard. Over, he, he came over my house all the time. Okay. No, he was a forward. He was a forward. That's right. No, forward. he was a forward. Yeah. You're right. Uh, um, and so he would come over my house, sit down, hang out. And I had a basketball goal okay. in back of my house. And I tell the story, you know, when I was playing basketball by myself, I was very good. <laughs> when he came over, I was very bad because <laughs> we played one-on-one. And then he'd say, okay, let me show you something. Right, right. And so he'd do some move, do a crossover, right. lay up. He said, now that's NBA for you. <laughs> so. We'll be right back. Have you been listening to these episodes and wanted to go deeper in some of the incredible truths Dr. Evans has shared? For a limited time, listeners can get free samples of some of Tony Evans' best-selling and most influential works. Books like his classic, Kingdom Encounters, Oneness Embraced, Kingdom Politics, and more. As you know, Tony Evans' books are incredible and sure to inspire, encourage, and empower you with your walk with Jesus. To pick up your free samples, go to moodypublishers.com today slash Tony Evans and download them today. moodypublishers.com today slash Tony Evans. Tony served as a Cowboys chaplain in two stretches, first in the 80s and then again in 2009. He was with the Mavericks that entire time. But in the years you might consider as Tony's halftime with the Cowboys, another type of chaplaincy occurred, and it's one that I have personal recollections of. In 1997, my dad and the men from my church decided to attend an event in Washington, D.C. What made this event memorable for me is that the men brought their sons with them, It was an early October Saturday morning when my dad and I, the men of our church, and an estimated one million men from around the country walked onto the National Mall to stand in the gap. The National Mall in Washington, D.C. is filled today for a Promise Keepers rally. Now live coverage of the all-male movement. This was the culminating event of a movement of men started by a football coach called Promise Keepers. It's coming up in just a couple of minutes. The schedule includes about 40 speakers and ends with an address by Promise Keepers founder Bill McCarthy. Yes, uh, Promise Keepers goes back uh, actually into the early 90s uh, when Bill McCartney, who was the coach at the University of Colorado, uh, he had a vision for men. This is the former president of Promise Keepers, Dr. Tom Fortson. During that time, I had a chance to really to get to know uh, Bill McCartney. Yeah, I mean, he's quite a quite a character, quite a man. He had a vision 
uh, one time when he was um, in the stadium and he, he asked himself a question. He just had a thought. What would it be like to have thousands of men in the stadium worshiping and listening to men of God and worshiping together? Uh, and that vision started by wake-up calls, small meetings. He's sharing the vision, but that's how it began. And um, he had a passion, which was reconciliation. Keep in mind, he was a football coach. And uh, he had players, uh, African-American players, uh, he recruited a lot. He saw the condition of young men uh, like that. And he had a passion. I know they wanted a good balance of racial balance because they really were, Coach McCartney was really serious about this this issue of uh, reconciliation and race. And uh, so I was invited to speak. And uh, when I spoke, it was received well. So then I was being invited to to most of them. Right. And so when I could do them, I did them. Can you remember the first event that you, you did with Promise Keepers? Well, one of the early ones, I don't remember whether the first one was Denton, Texas, because it was a storm, huge storm. So they were cutting out speakers because we wouldn't be able to finish it with the storm coming in. I mean, stuff was blowing everywhere. And they didn't cut me. And I think I was the last one to <laughs> to speak. And that one carried a lot of attention because of all the storm. And I'm the last one to speak, and for some reason, it grabbed a lot of attention. The first Promise Keepers event held in July of 1991 in Colorado was attended by 4,200 men. By the time of the Denton event in 1994, they were drawing over 10 times that. Over in Tony's world, he had concluded his first chaplaincy with the Cowboys and was going strong with the Mavs. The Urban Alternative was blessed by his connections with the teams through board members with a track record of success who were also committed to the ministry's growth. Tony and Lois had capitalized on the NRB platform and Dr. Dobson's endorsement, receiving daily program slots in radio markets across the country. When he received the Promise Keepers invitation, it was another springboard. I was at the University of Houston in college when that happened. Again, this is Priscilla Shire. And I remember it clearly because that was the time, um, you know, it was before social media and all that stuff. But still, there would be people that would come up to me in Houston and say, hey, you're, I just heard your dad or my dad just went to go hear your dad um, at Promise Keepers. All these thousands and right. thousands and tens of thousands of men right. who now were becoming aware of dad's voice. Yeah. And that conjoined with the, the blossoming radio ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, just made his voice very familiar to people. So it kind of started this awareness that people outside of our local church were now being impacted by his ministry. So that happened when I was in college. So when I would come home from college for a weekend or so, and I would come to the church, I remember being, my mind was blown Mm -hmm. at the amount of people that were visiting our church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. It it hadn't happened before Promise Keepers that there was just an explosion of people every Sunday that were coming to visit because they had been connected with dad through Promise Keepers primarily. One of the, was it in the LA Coliseum? Oh yeah, that was huge. I still have people talking to me who were at that event because it was huge and a a lot of positive feedback. Mm -hmm. I I think I was told, I don't know whether it's Tom Fortune or not, but I sold more tapes 
than anyone else, hmm. is what I was told. Hmm. The event at the L.A. Coliseum is the earliest recording we can find of what would become the hallmark of the Kingdom Agenda sermon. You see, men, it works like this. If you're a messed up man and you have a family, then you're going to contribute to a messed up family. And if you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family and your family goes to church, then your family is going to contribute to a messed up church. And if you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family that contributes to a messed up church and your church is supposed to be the light to the neighborhood, then your church is going to contribute to a messed up neighborhood. There's that theme you can see even in Dr. Evans' uh, ministry even now. It's the kingdom. Right. Uh, his book, the, the, the kingdom agenda. That's the, I didn't necessarily start with promiscuous. I'm saying it was you could see that being lived out. Right. And where he is right now and the message that he is proclaiming, which is the kingdom, when you see the vision there of families, uh, men going back and being the families that they're called to be and what we should be teaching our young young people is about the kingdom of God. So if you want a better world, composed of better countries, inhabited by better states, made up of better counties, composed of better cities, inhabited by better neighborhoods, influenced by better churches, made up of better families, we need a generation of better men. It starts with us today. Were you at the National Mall, Stand in the Gap? Event? I was at Stand in the Gap. That was another you, huge one. Do you million, remember that one? Men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, the White House over in the distance to my right. We're standing in the wall. And I remember one of my statements was, in light of different things happening in the country, is I know everybody's concerned about what's happening at their house. God is more concerned about what's happening at your house. And I was pointing at the uh, I, I do remember that statement for some reason. I know one of the Promise Keepers events, uh, your dad was there and you recognized That's, him and you entered. Do you remember which one that was? And he could have been at a lot, but I. I yeah, he one was of, at one a of, number of them. One uh, of the, you, you recognize him in front of the whole stadium. You brought him up on stage I did, with I, you. And I can see it. It's probably Washington. Okay. It's Washington. Okay. Yeah. And when you, once you said that, yeah. then that jump started my thinking. Anything like, stick out to you just being. Just part of that moment and proud to have him there, proud to be able to share that moment with him. Right. Proud to affirm and appreciate him publicly. So can we talk a little bit? Obviously, Promise Keepers opens up doors. Pastors there, their leaders there, their you know, so I mean I mean it 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 engulfed the country. Right. So uh during that season. And so we would get more and more invitations to speak while we're developing and expanding the urban alternative through radio, through more written materials, through more um, marketing. So how, how did you, uh, the Urban Alternative team, your church, navigate which speaking engagements to preach at? And how, how, did, um, how did you do that? I, I, I basically made, made those decisions based okay. on scheduling and interest opportunity. As more and more invitations come, you have to make more and more choices about how much you're gone, when you're gone, and why you're gone. Right. So early on, you just take things because somebody wants you. you, know? you right, you absolutely. You know, somebody, somebody wants you. Over time, I make a decision 
in terms of sphere of and scope of impact, not just because somebody wants you. You know, I was invited to an event with 20,000 people. So in terms of size of people, right? but the purpose would not be the best use of my time. Whereas a smaller group may be smaller, mm-hmm. but the influence, impact, and scope, mm-hmm. like if it's pastors coming together, because right. that's a priority. Right. If churches are coming together, then that fits in our mission and our right. goal. And right. our, so so over time, we've had to be more strategic in planning. Right. Those. When did you believe kind of there became this switch, uh, especially with God opening up doors? Was it was it soon after you had started to serve with Promise Keepers? Where switch to what? From to, what to what? For the demand for you to oh. come and speak and and be at different things. When do you well, believe that happened? Well, oh, I, uh, the, as the radio expanded, opportunity expanded. Promise Keepers was just another uh, level of that. Right. So right. it was it was radio first. Than promise keepers, right? How would you describe, uh, just to stay on promise keepers, because it's something that we've we've followed in your story, the impact of promise keepers on your ministry and well, promise keepers. What it did was it elevated the appeal to men, which was a great high interest of mine. The whole kingdom man concept. It was a lot of seeds of that was coming from all the speaking I was doing to men. Mm-hmm. And because of my view of the, what God is saying to men, uh, that became a, a a preliminary preamble to what would be developed uh, through TUA for a focus on impacting men. Do you remember observing your dad when that shift was starting to happen? Like, how did it affect him? I will. I would have to say that I'm. While I am sure that it did impact him significantly, not in any way that I would that that would be memorable to me. This is Priscilla Shire, right? He was the exact. He's been the exact same throughout. Yeah. Uh, which is so comforting to be able to say that. No, you know? it is. He's been the exact same throughout. He. I will say that he's a visionary. So mm-hmm. he wanted to take advantage, not in a negative way, but he wanted to take advantage of the opportunity to yep. minister to people, yep. particularly to men. I mean, his. His heart for discipling men is like primary. Right. So he wanted to say, okay, I have opportunity. I have men's ear. How, Lord, do we use this for kingdom advancement and the advancement of the family and rebuilding families and generational blessing? And Mm -hmm. so I did see him become focused on how do we leverage this for the kingdom of God? Right. Um, I do remember lots of conversations about that amongst him and people that were on staff at the church or, you know, people that would visit our home that were connected to ministry somehow. Right. Um, But as a man, he just was the same dad, the same local pastor, the same husband, dad, father. He just was, is just a regular guy. I can tell you that right off the bat. It did not change my dad. This is Anthony Evans again. The quintessential way, uh, one of the ways, it's just like my dad still, I'm I'm sure you've heard this already. He lives in the same house he moved into when he and my mom moved into when I was three years old. That to me is, is the, is a paint, is a picture of nothing has changed. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want anything more. He wants to do what he's called to do. So it didn't changing him of like, Ooh, I'm a big deal. That's just not even in his nature, which is such a blessing. Absolutely. Cause he does not 
think that way at right, all. Right. He's like, am I doing what I'm called to do? Okay, great. So I've watched ministry, the, 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 the juxtaposition between exponential growth in ministry and staying the same yeah. as a human being, knowing that God is giving you a platform and I'm going to stand on the platform, whether it's a hundred people or 50,000 people in Texas yeah. stadium. That's, yeah. that's, that's what I know. Yeah. That's all. That's all they showed us. Yeah, you spoke about being at one of the Promise Keepers events with mm-hmm. your dad. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember. I remember a few of them because we all had our special trips. Like everybody yeah. got to do like their trip with my dad, and mine was sometimes Promise Keepers. But yeah, I, I just remember specifically. I think I was older. I was eighteen probably, but going to the Promise Keepers Million Man thing in in yep. DC. In DC. Yeah. Yeah, and just being like, this is the scale of this is very interesting. Right. It's it. It all seemed normal to me because that's what I grew up with. But I was like, it's not normal to have a dad that speaks this well and to this many people without it being a thing. And then he right. walks off and's like, hey, you want to grab something to eat? It's just very like, this is not that door, yeah. you know. But yeah, but, curiously, being you know in those, have you ever seen a moment where your your dad's freaking out a little bit about the size scope that he's about to go speak to? I have not. Never seen no, it. No, he's not very outwardly emotional in general. So if he's freaking out, I would not know. <laughs> well, yeah. Part of his, as we talked about, he locks in and he's he's just focusing in on the task mm-hmm. at hand. That's it. And that's how he maybe prepares yes. himself. Yes. And he's able to emotionally disconnect to a certain degree where, where he wouldn't get riled up. Right. Yeah. I've never seen him like skip over his words or get kind of lost because he feels like, oh, this is a big deal. I've never seen that. Well, I'll tell you one. With with me, I was we were in backstage one time, and and uh, he was walking back and forth. Here's Tom Fortson again. Tony, believe it or not, my perspective is an introvert. Oh yeah. <laughs> a lot of people think, oh, you know, he's so outgoing, but you know, when no one's around, he's quiet. You know, he seems to be into himself. He's always thinking. Uh, so he was walking back and forth one time. I says, "Hey, man, are you okay?" He says. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm okay. I says, wow, man, this look trouble. He says, uh, no, I'm not troubled. He says, I'm trying to think which message I'm going to speak on. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, here's a guy, and it's going to be gone thousands of men. He's not sure what message he's going to speak. Obviously, he's going to stick to the topic. Right. But he, but he said he didn't, he didn't know which one he's going to preach on, and uh, he didn't, he didn't have notes. That's another thing I noticed about him. I'm thinking, man, how can how can a brother go out and speak before thousands of right, men? Right. right. Uh, he didn't seem noted, uh, nervous. He just goes up there and makes the presentation. But uh, when he told me he wasn't sure which one he was going to deliver, <laughs> that set me back knowing the other speakers and <laughs> how sometimes you can be nervous. But that wasn't about him. He was bold uh, and, and courageous, if I can say that. Dr. Fortson shared at one of the Promise Keepers event or whatever uh, that um, it was it was in a green room. It was before you were going to preach or whatever else. And he asked if, you know, you were okay because you were so locked in on your sermon. And you just basically explained, man, I'm trying to figure out which sermon I'm going to preach. <laughs> do you remember that yeah, at all? Well, yes, because I do that a lot, actually. I don't, a lot of times I don't decide till it's time to stand up. Okay. It's a feel. Mm-hmm. It's a feel about direction. And a lot of times I'll switch at the last minute based on the feel of the moment. Right. Existential moment. We'll be right back. Journey to a time of kings and prophets. Witness epic battles and miraculous events. Live the greatest adventures ever told. 
straight from the pages of the Bible. The Tony Evans Training Center provides more than just world-class training in a learn-at-your-own-pace environment. It strives to make the books of the Bible come alive. We'll take you deep into God's Word so that you can experience it in a life-changing way. Begin your journey today at TonyEvansTraining.org. That's TonyEvansTraining.org. Explore the kingdom anytime, anywhere. Discover a full collection of resources inspired by the life and teachings of Dr. Tony Evans at LifeWay.com, including books, Bible studies, and commentaries. Explore God's Word in a fresh way with the Tony Evans Study Bible. With notes and commentary he personally crafted and curated to inspire and empower you to live out the values of the Kingdom of God. For a limited time, get 25% off one regular priced product on LifeWay.com with promo code EVANS25. That's L-I-F-E-W-A-Y.com, promo code EVANS25. Expires October 31st. I got saved in October of 93, radically transformed, never knew Jesus Christ, had never heard the Bible at all. Um, didn't have any idea what it meant to be a, you know, a Christ follower. This is John Kidna. During his NFL career, he played quarterback for several teams, including the Seahawks, Bengals, and Cowboys. I got saved in October of 93. My girlfriend at the time kind of watched me, uh, for a couple months and then she got saved and, uh, in January of 94. And, um, you know, we were trying to figure out the whole, man, how do you live for Christ thing? What does the Bible have to say? And we had a guy mentoring us and discipling us. And, you know, some of the questions we asked were like, should we be having sex? Should we be staying at each other's house? And he would take us through the word and teach us that. And so we made commitments, um, you know, we're not going to do those things, but then, you know, a month later or six weeks later, we're struggling. And, uh, and so we're like, you know what, let's just, let's look in the Bible and see what it has to say about marriage. And we came across the scripture in first Corinthians seven, it says better to be married than burn in lust. And I looked at her, she looked at me and I said, we need to get married. And that was kind of how I, I, propo I proposed to her. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, we're in college. I mean, you're, you're not supposed to like get married in college and <laughs> we're just new Christian converts. And, yeah. and, uh, and so, you know, a few people heard about it and knew about it. And this guy hands us a cassette tape. This is how long ago it was. We got a cassette tape and it was called uh, roles in marriage by pastor Tony Evans. Never heard of it before. Wow. And we listened to that tape and couldn't believe what we were hearing. And then discovering in the word about, you know, the roles of the husband and the wife in marriage. And I mean, we wore that cassette tape out. I wish we still had it. We lost it in moves. Um, but that was our introduction to Tony Evans. And then again, that was, you know, February, March of 94. We got married in August of 94. It'll be 29 years this August. And then I guess it was probably, you know, 2004 or so we found out that um, the urban alternative, they had, you know, sermons on TV and we were in Cincinnati at the time and then moved on to Detroit. And my wife, she used to record them because they came on at the weirdest times, like three in the morning or something. So she would set it to record. And then when she was working out at the house uh, on the treadmill or whatever, she'd watch them. And so um, we were constantly 
being, you know, uh, inter intersected and taught by Pastor Evans. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about when you finally met Dr. Evans and, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about obviously in your career. So help remind me again, the path of your career that gets you to Dallas. Yeah. Uh, five years in Seattle, five in Cincinnati, uh, three in Detroit. And then I got traded from Detroit to Dallas in 2009. Okay. And, uh, and, and the NFL is kind of, you, you network all the time. So when I got traded there, Josh McCown had told me, he said, Hey, you know, just live in South Lake. And so, you know, great. We live in South Lake. And somebody else said, you want to look into faith Christian school for your kids. So we do that. And so but I said, I don't care where South Lake is in relation to Pastor Evans Church, we're going to Pastor Evans Church. <laughs> and uh I love that. We literally our our first weekend in town is you know like March 22nd or something like that, 23rd. And my wife had a trip planned with our with our son to take him out to California. So they went out to California for his birthday and went to Legoland and me and the other three kids, we went to Pastor Evans Church. And it's you know it's a 45, 50 minute drive from South Lake and uh, went to church. It was great. Uh, we sat, you know, it, it, we sat toward near the back on the bottom. And as church got over, um, one of pastors uh, guys that, you know, kind of head usher and takes care of pastor. I mean, he does everything for pastor. Uh, he comes up to me, he said, Hey, pastor would like to meet you. And I'm like, what in the world? And, uh, and so I got a chance to, to, to meet pastor. And so, the only reason he knew who I was is um, he discipled a guy named David Lee, who's a who's a uh, coach in the NFL for years. And Josh McCown had spent a couple of months with him. Okay. And so when I got traded there, Josh said, told David, you know, make sure that Pastor knows or whatever. And, uh, and so that's how we ended up meeting. Then when I got traded to Dallas, and, and you know, like just praying that the Lord would put somebody in my life to disciple me, and then when when God had Pastor Evans, you know, pull me aside and I got a chance to meet him. Uh, I asked him what he, what he discipled me. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and he said, you know, my, my schedule's pretty busy. <laughs> um, let me take a look. And then he got back to me maybe a week or two weeks later. He said, the only time I have is Wednesday night after our, our Bible study at church. And, you know, it'd probably be nine 30 at night. And I said, I'll be there. And so, uh, started driving down on Wednesday nights, nine thirty, and and I mean it would go eleven, eleven thirty, and you know that's what's funny about that is um, Wednesdays are the heaviest days in terms of mental preparation for you know NFL athletes. It's, right. it's the heaviest day, right. so most guys are like not trying to do anything. But it's amazing how much energy God gave me for those drives and that time that we had together. But John Kittner now, he was, uh, you know, he came into the Cowboys locker room and changed a whole lot of things. That's right. the type of guy he was. And he had heard my dad and was kind of being discipled through the radio when he was in Detroit, playing mm -hmm. quarterback in Detroit. So he reaches out to my dad. Before you know it, you have Kittner, Romo, Miles Austin, you know, all of those guys at the time. So it was about eight to ten guys who were coming over just sitting in the living room. Right. And so my dad loves this now because it's sports. He's back being the chaplain without being the chaplain right. from a time perspective. Right. It's Wednesday night after church. They come over. He gives the same lesson he just gave the the congregation. And um, and they're asking questions and kind of diving in and all of this. By the end of the night, they're there three hours talking about football. 
And I come over and I'm like, Dad, you spent you spent 30 minutes on the Bible study and another two hours on on football yeah. because he said, hey, listen, I'll give them this word. They're going to give me some inside <laughs> information. Um, and then because he just enjoys the game. Yeah, and absolutely. he enjoys, and it's not even just the game. He's heady. So he enjoys the nuances of the game. So what are you thinking? Yeah. When you made that throw now. Yeah. You know, he's asking yeah. Romo. He's going you, into strategy. When you, yeah. When you made that throw. What made you take that read? Versus, yeah. So now Romo sits up yeah. and he says, "Well, this is how it works." So when you, <laughs> so now they're getting into it, and so man, they, you know, it, it becomes so biblical, right? You know, in, in some kind of way where he under, gets to understand those nuances. But they enjoyed it too. Yeah, you know, they enjoy having those conversations. You remember the first that? forty-five minutes we were going to talk about football, yeah. <laughs> you know, but that was great too because uh, a lot of those conversations were based on, you know, leadership. How do you lead and and both as a as a backup uh, or as a starter, how do you lead? How do you know? How do you lead effectively in the locker room, um, in the world that we live in? Because Pastor Evans always talks about we have to uh, be in the world but not of the world. You know, I'd show up and sometimes Kirk Franklin, you know, would be there, or quite often Kirk would be there. Jonathan would show up, and, and that's how I got to meet some of his family and yeah, his incredible wife and and uh, so yeah, it was. I mean, I would leave out of there with three or four pages of notes every week. And I, uh, I had the guy who led me to Christ. Uh, he, you know, we would talk the whole way home. What do he teach you this week? And so we talked <laughs> about that. And then, uh, and then when I get home at 11, 1130 at night, 12 o'clock at night, my wife is saying, what you, you know, what, what, what'd you guys talk about this week? So we go through my notes, you know, so, uh, it was, it was a great rich time. Was was Dr. Evans the chaplain for the Cowboys at this time? What was the chaplain status for the Cowboys when you came there? Yeah, we had a chaplain um, who had some, you know, some health stuff okay. going on. And, okay. And when the then chaplain resigned, he asked me, would I be open to coming back? So I came back. Dr. Evans would come in on Fridays and do chapel and, and, and uh, do Bible studies. That chapel on Friday or Bible study on Friday, you know, it went from like five to seven people to, you know, 25 to 30 guys on a Friday after everything's done, just sitting in there gleaning from Dr. Evans. Right. So him and Jonathan would come, yep. uh, you know, pretty much every week. And, and uh, he did it for a year and then Jonathan took over. Jonathan is finishing his NFL time. Yep. And so I would take Jonathan with me. And then uh, I saw the camaraderie he's now freed up from playing himself and the coach Garrett of the Cowboys asked him because he could do things I couldn't do travel with the team right and uh so he decided that that was you know God confirming you know yep. that so I had to transition from me the second time go round for me right <laughs> to him becoming the chaplain and and uh he has a tremendous relationship with with the team because right. he comes out of that world and, and also uh, a biblical foundation because he went on and got his master's at DTS. And, right. So he's a football player. I'm a football player. Um, he became a sports chaplain. I became a sports chaplain. Yeah. Um, he was the chaplain in the Tom Landry days. Uh, I'm the chaplain uh, now. So we had that strong bond, but we also carry that same strong bond in ministry. I mean, even. You know, this 2022 season with the Cowboys, he went out and did a couple chapels for me, enjoyed flying to Tampa to do that chapel and came and bragged about how that's why they won, <laughs> you know, against Tom Brady because he's the one who did yeah, the chapel. so that competitive nature stays, yeah. huh? A little it, trash talking. It yeah. stays, and then I let everybody know what the season was 
you know, 12 and 5, and I did most of the chapels. So, it, well, as you, you know, know, my brother and I shared. We had a record. Yeah, There's yeah. no doubt. Don't, don't forget, I'm 5 and 3 right now. You're 3 and 5. That's right. Know? That's right. So we, we still have fun with that stuff, and he, he still enjoys stepping in whenever I'm not able to do it. So right. it's been a lifelong thing, sports and ministry for us. I'm sure your dad— taught you a lot now that you've been the chaplain for the Cowboys for a professional team. What are some of those things that that your dad instilled in you? And then maybe even speak to the importance of chaplaincy and and yeah. that ministry. Well, he let me know that why I went through what I went through trying to make it into the NFL. Mm. He helped me to see that because I had a hard time trying to stay around, you know. And NFL stands for not for long. Yep. Right? So... You know, I'm on six teams in five years trying to find a home, playing in NFL Europe, going through all this, getting carted off the field, cut traded, you know, everything that you could think of. I'm at the bottom of the barrel, especially as a fullback in those times because they weren't like use check, you know, and right. they don't use us back then. It was all tight ends. Yeah. And so I was trying to figure it out. And, you know, I was fussing about, you know, why God is allowing me not to, you know, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do on my side and what's going on. And so when I became the chaplain, God said, see, he said, you know, Hebrews says that we serve a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. It's because he experienced everybody, everything that he's going to minister to. That's good. He said, your experience of being a player is going to make them respect you as a minister. Mm. There's nothing they're going to go through that you haven't gone through. God took you through it all. That's so good. Cut, traded, carted off the field, yep. injury settlements. I mean, you, you've gone through all of it. Mm. And so, but you, and you've gone through all of it in the pit. So you don't have problems in the palace. You don't have any problems. Mm. You see the famine coming from a mile away. Mm. And so that's that's your respect. Your respect is going to be through um, the what you've conquered, what you've gone through. That's great. And so that's what and that's what I've used. So all of my illustrations, my stories, uh, my ability to connect with them makes them get uh, makes me get from them what Irvin gave my dad. Hey, right. man, you made I was locked in. Yeah. You know, because. I, you know, you you know exactly what we're going through, what we're thinking, right. what we're facing, the pressure. Yeah, and I'm sure league. because of that, not just the the on the field stuff, the the life stuff. Yeah, the life stuff, and right. I mean, so he was pivotal in helping me make that transition and understand how life connects to. You know, my mom always said, "Your greatest misery uh, will be the catalyst to your greatest ministry." Hmm. And my dad, you know, helped me see that, and he helped me see that, you know. His ability to use uh, football and the sport that they play to illustrate the faith from a spiritual growth standpoint, from a playbook standpoint, from a accountability team standpoint, from a unity uh, standpoint, from a uniform standpoint. I mean, everything about the game is biblical, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the way they study it, then they execute it, then they go learn it, then they memorize it, meditate on his word. I mean, <laughs> the whole game, <laughs> the whole game is, is biblical outreach. Yeah. And so... It made it easy. Yeah, I mean, he's had the, the impact is it just never stops and it continues to grow. Our relationship continues to grow from those weekly discipleships to sitting under him at church to serving at church to serving him and, and his wife and then you know, uh, moving away uh, when I finished playing and retiring and going back to Washington and then staying in touch through that time and um, him helping to bring me back to Texas uh, as a high school coach and and then uh, 
you know, I'm coaching high school ball for seven years. And Jason Garrett calls me about coming and, and coming on staff with the Cowboys in 2019. And I didn't call my wife. I didn't call my family. The first person I called was Dr. Evans. Wow. Um, because he knew why he, he, he was always aware of why I never got into the pro game anyways, which was right. you have to, as a coach, you have to give up so much, so much sacrifice for your family. And, uh, but we had stayed in touch over the years, over these seven years. And so when that came up and I called and asked him, he said, you don't, you're concerned for the wrong things. He said, everything you do, you guys do as a family, and this will be no different. You know, so he's just been so good for my family. And I, I mean, I feel like he treats us as, as if we're related, like we're one of his, you know, his children. And, uh, my whole family says that. I was an assistant coach. People were talking about me. Hey, he's going to be a head coach. I would go to these interviews and I would come in second. They'd call me back and say, um, hey, we decided to go another direction. You were great. And this one particular owner and it asked me, hey, you don't use profanity. You don't raise your voice much. How are you going to deal with my high testosterone guys? And I talked about loving them and doing it in a godly way. And he said he didn't think that would work. And I had to ask Dr. Evans, you know, am I on track? Am I doing it the right way? And he, his encouragement was, no, don't change. You be the Lord's man. The Lord has a spot for you. Don't worry about any of that. And so that was encouragement at the right time when I needed it. This encouragement Dr. Evans gave Coach Dungy reminded us of something his college mentor, John McNeil, said to him during the heated racial debates in Atlanta. And I shared that with Tony and the rest. You know, you do your best. And don't worry about other people. You see, you live for the Lord. You take your stand. Before we go, we've got one final story for you. One unique thing about Dr. Evans is his ability to make friends and keep in touch with them over decades of life and ministry. One of those friends is Ed Bateman. Tony and Ed met years ago as Dr. Evans was traveling the country with his family. They love playing basketball. And Ed, who is now in his 90s, loves reminding Tony of a story because he beat him one-on-one. -on -one. Listen as Dr. Evans recalls not only their games, but a special one-on-one -on -one game in Philly that will make you say only Tony Evans. I was at a basketball conference and Dr. J was at the conference. So Dr. J and I played one-on-one -on -one at this conference. Julius Irving, Tony Evans. This around the same time. Plays one-on-one, -on -one. yes. <laughs> We're playing one-on-one -on -one at the conference, okay? <laughs> the best two out of three games. Okay, that's, Come on. that's a, yes, me and Dr. J. With like a crowd watching? No, this no. Is just, just you guys in the gym. Just me and him in the gym. In the gym. Come on. Dr. J just controls everything the first game. <laughs> but the second game, I win. Come on. The second game, I win. Now, I'm sure he wasn't maxing his thing. But the second game, Yeah, we're not going to tell the story like that. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely not. The second game, I win. So the third game, because he ain't going to let me win, and it was funny, Dr. J 
went all the way over to the corner of the uh, of the court. He says, just because he was way ahead of me, so it was easy to win the game. But he said, let me take my last shot from the corner over here. Okay. <laughs> so I'm saying, okay, because the game was basically over for the for the third game. Dr. J doesn't shoot from the corner. He takes two steps and dunks. Oh, come on. So he wanted to make a statement. He he wanted to make a statement. <laughs> was, so so the doctor This is what I do statement. for a living. That, that's, yeah. that's right. So but I won the second game. See, yeah. see, that was my claim. Can't take that away. I want to say, so I'm telling, so I'm telling a story to Ed Bateman. Right. So when I talked to him a month ago, I don't know how this 92, 93-year-old guy, he says, yeah, and I'll never forget, I beat the man who beat, beat. Dr. J. Oh, right? <laughs> that is so great. <laughs> that was what he said to me. So that was funny. We'll be right back. My friend Richard is not like other people. He's a man with terminal cancer who decided to plant a church. They initially told me two years. And I was terrified. I still am. But our circumstance doesn't change our calling. From Send Network, this is Terminal, the dying church planter. Coming soon to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next time on Start to Finish. A commentary on the whole Bible is certainly no joke. <laughs> and in terms of just raw time, I mean, that was definitely the one project where I spent the most amount of time because recovering the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So there were a number of factors that put that together. It was a 10-year process. I said, what do you want with me? Because I come from being so used by churches. And he started laughing and just kind of said, nothing. He said, I just see a young man that if his inside could ever catch up with his outside, he would be a great man of God. Start to Finish, the life and ministry of Dr. Tony Evans is a podcast powered by the North American Mission Board. You can get in touch with us at resources at nam.net. That's resources at namb.net. If this podcast is helpful to you, and I really hope that it was. It would be helpful to us if you'd leave a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to and share it with all your friends. Start to Finish is made possible by the cooperation of the Urban Alternative, Dr. Tony Evans, and the Evans family. Our show is written by Neil Hoppy and produced by Kevin Spratt. Editing by Jeremy Spencer. Our sound engineers are Eric Chapman and Aaron Leslie. Our music is by J. Adam Wesley. Trevin Wax is our executive producer. See you next time 